And yes, Heavenly Father, precious Jesus, we ask that you shine forth tonight in the brilliance of your light, in the brilliance of your beauty, in the brilliance of your power. We ask that you shine forth upon us tonight. Release upon us the flame of your presence. Oh, cast upon, upon our hearts that flame, that flame that will strengthen us and empower us for the journey that lies ahead. Grant indeed that your voice will emerge, that the bridegroom's voice will emerge tonight. Let it minister hope. Let it minister life. Let it minister healing. Let it restore us, O oh God, to the foundation of our calling in you. And let your name be praised and glorified. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Okay. Okay, so welcome tonight to our closing session of um, this retreat. Um, I hope it has been an awesome time for you. As much as it's been, I've been blessed by every single session so far. Um, we would, in this session, um, attempt, we're not going to succeed, obviously, but we're going to attempt to complete our study, our panoramic study of the book of the Song of Songs. Um, we stopped, if you remember in the, in the morning session, we stopped at um, the second division of the book, which is the sanctifying work of the love of God. That's where we stopped in verse five. And we saw the charge. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the doors of the field, do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. And we said that this interjection here marks the end of a section and it shows that love has different layers and dimensions and it means that what you're going to read next is going to introduce you to another layer of love to another um, intensity of love okay there's something i want us to remember as we study these final chapters um, of the book of the song of songs which is what i said in the first session in the morning that what makes for a lasting love, right, is the knowledge of the record of the love of Christ. I don't know if you remember that, the record of the love of Christ, the knowledge of the reality of the love of Christ. So the record of the love of Christ is the historical understanding of the legal and positional side of what Christ accomplished um, on the cross for you and I and for our children after us. And the reality is the, is the present day help you need every day with God as your Emmanuel. And if one or more of these two is missing from your, from your toolkit two as a believer, it's going to lead to a struggle with the love of God. If you miss out on the record of it, you might not know the riches that are available to you. If you miss out on the reality of it, the riches could be all around you and you don't take advantage of them. But now we come to the final R, if you like, um, which is the final element of the love of God that shifts this entire book into another layer of inspiration and revelation. And that layer is the return of Jesus. Now, this is a, an aspect of Christianity that has been thoroughly downplayed in our postmodern Christian era, um, especially in what you might call post-Christian societies. And you see, 
as the age begins to close, as we wind down, as we go further um, into, into the final days of the last days, you will discover that an understanding of the record and an appropriation of the reality of God's love, it's not going to be enough to keep you, to keep a generation. There needs to be an appropriation of the hope of the return of Jesus. And I can tell you that it's because this message has been lacking in a lot of our teaching in these days. That's why the, that's why the diagnosis or the verdict of Jesus, right? That's, that our love has waxed cold, especially if you look at, even in Nigeria where we have a revival, when you look around, a lot of people's love has waxed cold. And that's because this final element was missing. And so just in case you're wondering what separates two Christians, the ones who have one kind of extreme fire and the ones who are almost like lukewarm and the ones who are somewhere in between, this is the final missing puzzle. And it's my prayer that God will help us tonight. Now, as we journey, obviously we have a long way to go. I'll try not to, I'll try to keep it as short as possible so we can spend time encountering Jesus. But let your heart be open. So many things will be said. Allow the Holy Spirit to impress on your heart the one that is for you, okay? So I would like someone to volunteer to read this concluding parts of the Song of Songs. Who would like to? Okay, I can read. Okay, thank you, Golda. Okay, so we will read now from verse 6 of chapter 3 to verse 11. Okay. Who is this coming out of the wilderness like pillars of smoke, perfumed with mire and frankincense, with all the merchants' fragrant powders? Behold, it is Solomon's couch, with 60 valiant men around it, of the valiants of Israel. They all old swords, being expert in war. Every man has a sword on his thigh, because of fear in the night. Of the wood of Lebanon, Solomon, the king made himself a palakin. He made its pillars of silver, its supports of gold, its seats of purple, its interior paved with love by the daughters of Jerusalem. Go forth, O daughters of Zion, and see King Solomon with the crown, with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, the day of gladness of his heart. Okay, thank you. So as you can see, if we begin with the literal side of this letter, this is the culmination of the love affair that has been occurring between Solomon and the Shulamite, right? This is the day of the wedding. And when you um, look at Christ, who is the picture that's represented here by Solomon, you realize that the culmination of this age is with the wedding feast of the lamb. Um, Christ is looking forward to receiving his bride. And so on this day, the bride is speaking from her perspective, right? She said, who is this? Now, who is this here? tells you that <laughs> this is a strange appearance, right, right? Because so far, we have seen a very gentle and lovely sort of um, bridegroom, right? In fact, he's described as a shepherd who feeds amongst his flocks. And so he has not revealed the majesty, the grandeur, the fact that he's first last to, um, to the bride at this point directly. And of course, if you follow the story, the story literally, many people say that this is exactly what's happening here. So perhaps Solomon on one of his vacations 
went into this field and met this Shulamite and a love relationship began, but she did not immediately recognize exactly who she was dealing with until the day of his wedding. Which is why if you go to the book of Revelation, it, is, it looks like as though a completely different Jesus is presented there. Because what is in view in the book of Revelation is his return. Because that kingdom that John the Baptist proclaimed with so much passion, that kingdom is going to return. Um, and so this is, this is Solomon coming for the wedding. Who is this coming out of the wilderness? Like pillars of smoke perfumed with mere and frankincense. One thing I want to just chip in here very quickly is that each of us has to live our lives every day with the hope of the return of Christ in view. If we don't have that hope, if, it's, if that hope is not steadfast in our hearts, there's an intensity of love that we will not come into for the Lord, right? Um, because if we begin, but we, we must begin by seeing that your life as a Christian, in a sense, is incomplete. I know that we just studied Colossians, where, where Paul said that we are complete in Christ, right? But that completeness is very positional. By that, I mean it's very heavenly. Practically, there's something that needs to happen to you for your, for, for your salvation to, to find its culmination. Paul and Peter says, receiving the end of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. So the reason each of us is supposed to eagerly anticipate the return of Christ um, is because there is a completeness we will not experience until he returns. Now, while I'll be speaking today, I want you to understand the return of Christ in two senses. There's a second coming of Christ, but there's also the return of Christ in the sense of the visitations of Christ this year that I'm convinced that Jesus himself will bring to us, okay? I want to show you the point I just made um, from Colossians chapter three. If you remember, Colossians was the last um, book that we studied. And Paul in the first two verses was telling us to set our minds on things above, not on things on earth. And then verse three and four says, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. We talked about what this means in, in, in great detail that day. And then he now tells us when Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So you see that your life has been exchanged. That's what's happening here. This is a substitution. This is the, this is the identification as it's where there's something that happened. Jesus took your place so that you, you don't have a destiny that is divorced from Christ. Your destiny is, is, is mingled up with his destiny. Your spirit has become one with his spirit. Your possibilities have been wrapped up in Christ and that's why you cannot fail. That's why your life cannot go in the wrong direction because your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life has been exchanged, right? But the problem you and I have this day is that your body has not been changed. Even though your reality has been exchanged, your physical body has not been exchanged. That's why it is still perhaps prone to sickness, prone to disease, prone to COVID-19, prone to you know, temptation, prone to even straying away from God. You see, and everyone who understands the glory that awaits us must actively hope for it. It says, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And then he now gives you a therefore. So in view of this, if you understand this, there's, there's a system of living I want to introduce you to. And that's when he says, put to death, 
your members. And we're going to come back to this, but I wanted to show you this. And to give witness to this is, is the Apostle John in his own letter. He says, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the technon of, of God, the children of God, that's the offspring of God. So your, your reality has changed. You are an offspring of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Behold, now are we the technon of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. There is a certain aspect of your possibilities that is tied to the revelation of Jesus. There's a certain aspect of your possibilities and giftings that would only be revealed even to you when Jesus returns to set up his kingdom upon the face of the earth. He says, for we shall see him as he is. And then he recommends the same, the same regimen for everyone who maintains such a hope. He says, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself. So just in case you, you find a Christian who has lost the understanding of the need for consecration, of the need for a purity of life, or who is even debating the need for that, it's because he has lost sight, he or she has lost sight of this hope. It says everyone, everyone who has this hope. It means that the source of your motivation can be kept easy if you keep the return of Christ in front of you always. There's a level of service that you will not come into if you don't keep the return of Christ in front of you. There's a level of kingdom sacrifice that you will not come into if you don't keep the return of Christ in front of you. And by extension, those things that service and sacrifice produces, such as, such as an intensity of the anointing. There's a level of that that you will not come into if you do not put the return of Christ in front of you. And look at the regimen that's recommended. Everyone that has this hope purifies himself, right? Paul tells us that Christ is coming for a church, a bride. He has, he has invested everything that he is. You know, he has worked so hard. For, for those of us who are from African cultures, we understand how daunting our marriage list that our uncles and um, in-laws give to us when we, when we come to get married and how honestly stressful it can be to fulfill the, the requirements of that list, both financially and emotionally and otherwise. Some of the items are not even easy to purchase. And there was no aspect of our salvation that was easy, but, but Christ has fulfilled his part of it. And now he's, he's seeking a, a spotless bride. And that's what Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter five, right? And we see in verse 11 here to confirm that what we're reading about here is the return of the king. It says, go forth, O daughters of Zion, and see King Solomon with a crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, the day of the gladness of his heart. It's, it's about the gladness of his heart. All along, we have been reading about the gladness of our own heart. But now, as we go forward, the attention shifts. The one who has been warmed by the love of Christ, the one who has been filled by the love of Christ, the one who has been embraced by the love of Christ, now begins to reciprocate that love and turns the attention to the day of the gladness of his heart. And so what this calls for is a life of consecration. Now, the, the, the section that we read about, right, talks about sanctification. 
and we and like people said this is the will of god even your sanctification right and we understand that the sanctifying work of the holy spirit is a continuous work there is there is no time in your christian life that you say oh i've got it now i'm perfect i don't need any washing of feet that's the work that the holy spirit continually does sanctification is different from consecration in that consecration is a one-time reckoning consecration is not the same as sanctification in sanctification the holy spirit can accommodate things that you have not yet figured out and you can grow with it but consecration means a day comes when like paul says you begin to put to death certain things you begin to put to death certain things and if we go back to colossians chapter 3 to see the list of things that Paul says that we have to put to death. Colossians chapter three, he says, put to death your members, or you can say in your members, those things which are of the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which, which is idolatry. He says, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Friends, if we look at this list, I'm sure that at each point in time, especially as we face the new year, each of us can identify ourselves here. We can, the Holy Spirit can bear witness that in this year, <laughs> I want you to put to death something specific here. And it, we already did Colossians chapter three, so we're not going to redo it. But you find out that Paul went on to say, you need to put off the old man, right? Because it's a walk of, of consecration. So you need to put off the old man and put on the new man. In, a, in some other um, Pauline letters, he calls it to walk in the newness of life. And if we go back to the book of Song of Songs, you will see that the possibility, the reason why Jesus believes that it's possible for you to put to death certain things, is possible for you to walk in the newness of life, is because of these two spices, right? Called mere and frankincense. You see, when he comes, He's perfumed with his death. Of course, you know that mere is um, an embalming liquid, right? That is used to preserve the body of the dead for a while. So basically the gift of mere speaks of, speaks of the gift of death and suffering that Christ um, willfully bore on our behalf. So Christ died and he resurrected and he germinated into a new life. And it's on that basis because he resurrected that's why you are saved today. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, you wouldn't be saved today. And so the same power that brought you to Christ is able to enable you to walk in the newness of life. And then the other, the other um, spice we see there, or precious gift we see there is frankincense. That's what he's, he's, he's perfumed with. And now frankincense is also a spice that releases his fragrance when it's burned. Right, So it's talking about the priesthood of Christ. And so Hebrews 7 verse 25 tells us that he's able to save to the uttermost, to the very end, everyone who comes to God by him because he lives forever to make intercession for them. So think about it. He has fulfilled the legal requirements for your salvation. And even today, he makes intercession for you. Those two reasons are sufficient for you to know that you can walk in the newness of life. And now, chapter four from verse one to five, or but we're going to be from verse one to six, begins to show us what a consecrated life is. 
remember that the need and the importance of consecration is because there's a kingdom at hand. And if you fix our gaze on that kingdom that is to come, on the, on the bridegroom, right, who, who is expecting a gladness of heart on a certain day, then consecration will be um, something that will naturally flow out of our lives. This was why John the Baptist stood out in his, in his generation. He saw a vision of a coming kingdom, and it was a compelling vision. And so wherever he went, his message was the same. Repent, repent, because something is coming. Anyone that has such a hope or automatically finds that consecration becomes an easy and delightful way of life. Okay. So, Golda, can you read from verse 1 to 6 of chapter 4? You are muted, Golda. Bistuta, Golda. Would someone like to read in place of Golda until she's back? I can read. Thank you, Vanessa. Okay. Um, verse one, one to four. One to six. One to six. It says. Oh, sorry, one to five for now. I want to five. Okay. Behold, you are fair, my beloved, my love. Behold, you are fair. You have a dove's eyes behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats going down from Mount. Um, you moving from Mount Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn sheep, which have come up from the washing, every one of which bears twins, and none is barren among them. Your lips are like a strand of scarlet, and your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like a piece of pomegranate. Your neck is like a lower a tower of David built for an army on which hang a thousand bucklers, ba bucklers, all shields of mighty men. Your two breasts are like two phones, trains of a gazelle, which feed among the lilies. Okay, thank you. What I wanted to do here is just to quickly show us um, what the outworkings of a consecrated life looks like. Remember I said that what separates consecration from sanctification is that consecration is a one-time thing, right? Remember when, um, when Abraham in Genesis 14 returned from fighting all of those kings, right? And Melchizedek, priest of God, met him, and then they had an exchange. And just right after Melchizedek met him, um, the king of Sodom met him and began to offer him riches, and he said, I have raised my hand. It's a, it's, it's, it's a commitment I've made before, before the priest of Salem. I have raised my hand before the Lord that I will not take anything, lest you say that you made Abraham rich. And so this is the outworking of the life of one who has raised their hands to the Lord. He says, you are fair, my beloved. You are fair, my love. You are, you are beautiful. There is a beauty of character 
that, that flows out of you. It says you have dove's eyes behind your veil. So we, have, we saw in chapter one that dove's eyes was referring to the devotion, this, this singular devotion, right? But now dove's eyes is used in the context of behind your veil. So that's talking about spiritual insight. And that's one of the things that you're going to need to facilitate your work of consecration. The more insight you have, the more surrendered and dedicated to the kingdom of God that you're going to have. If you're not desperate about, about the things of God, if you're not hungering and thirsting and pursuing after the things of God, it's a sign that you have not been feeding right. right? And we're going to see that. It says your hair is like a flock of goats <laughs> going down from Mount Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn sheep which have come up from the washing, every one of which bears twins. Means that the teeth is in order, the teeth is mature. Um, what I understand by your teeth here is that in Hebrews chapter five, you know, the writer of Hebrews was, was saying to his audience that, you know, at the time that you are supposed to have become teachers, right? You need someone to come and teach you again, the, the very basic principles of Christ. And he, he, he said that the root cause of their immaturity was that they didn't have an, a, an appropriate or a balanced appropriation of the word of righteousness. Maybe we should just digress there very quickly before we come back. Look at this. He says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. So you see, as much as we, we bask in God's love, we rejoice in God's love, there's none of us here that wants to have a baby who remains a baby forever. As much as that phase is, is lovely and beautiful and we love the cuteness and every funny thing that happens in that phase, it's very quickly going to become frustrating if that phase continues beyond what it should continue. He says, but solid food belongs to those who are full age. That is those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So basically his, his, his metric for measuring maturity is, is how you deal with the word of righteousness. Because some people cannot come to a balanced understanding of righteousness, right? It's either the highly legalistic view of it, right? That expects to be made a son or to become accepted before God by the works of the law or even by any other kind of works and they hold on strictly to that interpretation or, or some people only see the um, the liberal side of, of, of righteousness which is um, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and God doesn't care anymore he has done what he needs to do and I'm free to do what I need to do since that's how you're going to identify a babe and if you look at your own life do you have a balanced view of the righteousness of God? Do you recognize that? Yes, it, technically speaking, there's nothing I can do that will affect my salvation, except if I really, really, really do it long enough for God to kick me out of the kingdom of God. Yes, you, you have that understanding that you are accepted in the beloved, that you don't need to come to God apologizing every moment of the day, that you don't need to um base your merit before God on your performance. You have that understanding. But you also have that understanding that 
you are saved into a kingdom context. And the kingdom has laws. Those laws are immutable. Even God himself does not break those laws when he wants to operate upon the face of the earth. And so Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and seek to be right with it. There is a right standard with God. You, 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 you don't fall into the trap of, of, of legalism. You simply understand that new creation realities should mean new creation responsibilities. You hold those two in balance, right? And it's, and it's a teat, meaning that when, when the strong meat of the word of God is fed to you, how do you break it down? How do you chew it? How do you digest it? That's what the teeth that are mature and in the right pairs are saying, that the consecrated life has learned how to receive, how to take in the meat of righteousness, how not to become um, kicked down by, by correction or by criticism, and also how not to be carried away you know, by, by compliment or by praise, but has found a balanced view of the message of righteousness. It says your, in verse three, it says your lips are like a strand of scarlet and your mouth lovely. Now, <laughs> your lips represent, um, your lips represent the instruments by which you exercise authority, right? And when we look at the usages of scarlet in scripture, you find that when, when Moses sent the spies into Canaan, if you remember, it was a red scarlet that, that um, Rahab used to redeem them, or rather it was a red scarlet that Rahab used for Rahab herself to be redeemed. And what it means is that your lips are redeeming. You get to the point where you have mastered your speech. Paul says in Colossians 4, that let your words always be seasoned with salt, always be gracious and seasoned with salt. Um, and let your mouth always declare in authority because that's what the scarlet refers to. When the um, Roman soldiers were mocking Jesus, they put the scarlet on top of on, on him and they began to bow to him. Um, which, I mean, they were doing it as a joke, but it was signifying his authority. All right, so the lips are the seat of um, releasing redemption. So let your lips be, be always seasoned with salt. And they're also the, um, they're also the instrument of releasing the authority of God. Your temples behind your veil are like a piece of pomegranate. I think if you know the pomegranate fruit, you would know that it's a fruit of, it's a, it's a fruit that is filled with seeds, filled with possibilities, right? And we're going to see more of that later. And it says your neck, it's like the Tower of David, is built for an armory on which hang a thousand bucklers, all shields of mighty men. Now, this scripture can mean different things depending on the context in which you're looking at it. But you can say that the neck is the, is the instrument of, of submission, right? And so for your neck to be like the Tower of David, first of all, uh, it, it stands upright. It does not bow to the world system. It stands upright. And then it's built as an armory. And there is the record of the wars that God has won. And if you, if you look at David's records in, in the writings of first and second summer, you will discover that every war he won, he won, he won it by submitting to the will of God. So when your neck is compared to the Tower of David, 
it means that there is something intrinsically about your life that that follows after the will of God and submits to it. it says your breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle, which feed among the lilies. So this is describing a consecrated life. I mean, these interpretations that I have given to each of these um, symbols here may not necessarily be the most precise, but the idea for sure is that Christ is praising his bride, right? That in view of my return, I demand consecration. I seek consecration. And we're going to see shortly why he's seeking consecration because the kingdom of God introduces us to a context of enemies. If we're going to make ourselves um, instruments that will further the frontiers of the kingdom of God, and even if we refuse to make ourselves instruments that will further the kingdom of God, <laughs> by virtue of being in Christ, we already exist in a context of enemies. The Bible says if any man is, is in Christ, he's a new creature. So that already has implicated you because you're going to discover that in, in Christ, there is a system of thinking and the world is very strongly opposed to that system of thinking, right? And so without even wishing to, without even <laughs> looking for trouble as it were, you're already in, in, in opposition to a lot of the, um, the ideas that are in the world system. And if you're going to stand in the midst of the warfare that you already exist in and not lose sight of the love of your king, it, it calls for a separation to him, a consecration to him, okay? Now, we're going to see why this um, call for consecration because there is an invitation that the beloved now gives to the damsel. Can you read for us from verse 6 to verse 11? Go, so to... Go ahead, Vanessa. Mm -hmm. 6 to 11. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee away, I will go my way to the mountain of mirror and to the hills of frankincense, garden of delight. You are all fair, my love, and there is no spot in you. The mountains and the fragrance of Lebanon. Come with me from Lebanon, my spouse. With me from Lebanon. Look from the tops of Amman, from the top of Senir and Hermon, from the lion's den, from the mountains of the leopards. You have ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. You have ravished my heart with one look of your eyes, with one link of your necklace. How fair is your love, my sister, my spouse. How much better than wine is your love and the scent of your perfumes than all spices. Your lips on my spouse drip as the honeycomb. Honey and milk are under your tongue and the fragrance of your garments is like, um, okay, you have, <laughs> sorry. And the fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. Okay, thank you. So this is still Christ speaking, right? Or the bridegroom speaking. So at this point in their love relationship, because of her consecration, um, 
the, the bridegroom's heart is being satisfied, you know, in a very intense and new way. And it's a cry of my heart that this would indeed be our testimony. So let's look at what's going on here, right? The bridegroom say, um, um, now depending on what translation you use, <laughs> this could have been said by the Shulamite or by the bridegroom. It doesn't really make a difference. He says, until the day breaks and the shadows flee away, I will go my way to the mountain of Mir and the hill of frankincense. So this is an ascension protocol that's going on, right? And everything you read after this statement is a product of accepting this, this call to come up. Remember when we did um, Colossians, right? We said that when Paul said, set your affection on things above, and the primary thing that is above is your high calling. When, when, when Christ saved us, he translated us into his kingdom so that we can be both kings and priests before God. So as kings, we reign on the earth, but before God, we're not kings as it were before God. We don't command God or we don't rule over God. We don't tell God what, what to do. Rather, we are priests towards God. Fulfilling this calling of ascension. So we're basically called to live an ascended life, a life that operates from a higher vista, right? Fulfilling this call of ascension requires that we climb up the mountain of, of Mare, and Mare refers to death, and the, and the heel of frankincense. And frankincense refers to the spiritual sacrifices that we're supposed to offer in our priesthood. It means that as we consecrate, our lives to God, he's going to minister death to everything that is of the old man. And death here is, 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 is severe, right? It's, it's a cutting off. It's what Paul says when he says, put off, put off, put to death. That's, that's the only way that we, we can get to a place where our, our, like the sacrifice of our lives ravishes the heart of the beloved in a fresh way. It's in the mountain of Mir and the heel of frankincense, right? And look at what the beloved says to her in verse eight. He invites her, says, come, come with me from Lebanon, my spouse, with me from Lebanon. Says, look from the top. God wants us this year to operate from the top because if you, if you look from the earth, perhaps none of what I'm saying will make sense to you, right? It might feel even legalistic to you, perhaps if you look from the earth, but he says, this is not where your, this is not where your reality is domiciled. Your, your, your true identity is domiciled in the heavens. So before you pass judgment on something, before you, before you decide on anything, come and look from the top. Operate from that high place. Operate from the, from the ascended position that I've given to you. He says, from the top of Seni and Hermon, from the lion's den, from the mountains of the leopards. So you can see that even though you are ascended, in fact, the more intimate you are with Jesus, the more aware you become of the opposition to Jesus. Perhaps even the more exposed you are to the opposition that Jesus encounters, right? Because we can see very clearly here that, okay, there, there are lion's dens, there are mountains of leopards. That doesn't sound like a place to go to. Well, you see, you're operating from a higher position. But it's just that I must warn you that intimacy with Jesus means that <laughs> your eyes are open to see from the realm of the spirit. 
That's what that's that's the level Paul got to in Ephesians chapter six, where he says, "We do not wrestle against flesh and blood." And he began to see that the things that were causing um, distortions upon the face of the earth were spiritual realities domiciled in the second heavens. And so there is warfare, and it's because of this warfare that your consecration insulates you from the wiles of the enemy, like Paul says. And it is from this place of, of death to self, of, of death to the flesh, of the continual offering of incense, that this praise now comes. It says, you have ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. You have ravished my heart with one look of your eyes, with one link of your necklace. How fair is, is your love, my sister, my spouse? How much better? Now, you see, in chapter one, it was the, it was the bride, you and I, who was commending the love of Christ because we saw that it was poured out. It was wasted on our behalf. It was sacrificed on our behalf. We said, oh, your love is better than mine. But she has, has ascended in, in her intimacy with the Lord to the point where the Lord is now saying that <laughs> your love for him is much better than mine. He would rather have your love than mine. He says, and the scent of your perfumes than all spices. Your lips, oh my spouse, drip as a honeycomb. Honey and milk are under your tongue and the fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. So he begins to um, commend her, commend her fragrance, her scent. There's something Paul says that we are like the fragrance of Christ and <laughs> that fragrance is offensive to some people right, especially if you're really going to be the fragrance of Christ, it's, it's never a please-all affair, I can assure you. Of course, we don't go out looking for enemies, but that fragrance for some people is a sign of judgment because when they see the purity of your life, the consistency of your life, it, it's a sign to them that they have to come into line, and if they don't want to come into line, then suddenly they become resentful, right, about your separation. But it's also a fragrance of life. You see, in this year, I think I've mentioned this before, what I see God doing is that as we, as we waste on him, as we continuously ascend, you know, and as we ravish his heart with, with our spiritual sacrifices, our sacrifices of worship, our sacrifices of prayer, that he will leave a fragrance upon us. So that in your workplace, when people encounter you, they may not remember what you said, because you may not even get the opportunity to preach the gospel, but there'll be a fragrance that will be left on their soul and they will know they touched something that came from a high place. I don't know if it has happened to you before, maybe at work or in class, that you finished a meeting and people did not necessarily praise you for what you said. They said, no, there was something warm and refreshing about this meeting. We have had so many meetings, but this one, there was, there was a presence in the room. That's what, that's, that's the, that's the, and benefit of coming up is that as you fellowship with God, he leaves a fragrance on you. And it's that fragrance that is actually interpreted favor because someone can hate you and still favor you because of that fragrance. And when you are a person that is dedicated to the burning of incense and to the sacrifice of your life before God, not on the altar, not on YouTube, not on Facebook, but like we're going to see shortly, but before God, there's a fragrance that comes upon you. Friends, we may not have the opportunity to verbally proclaim the gospel, but our lives can spread the fragrance. 
if we operate from the top, if we make it our goal to connect with heaven and to operate from that place. And now we can read from verse 12 to chapter 5, verse 1. Golda, are you back? Or still out? Okay. Verse 12. Okay. Chapter 5, verse 1. Okay. A garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse, a spring shut up, a fountain sealed. The plants are orchid of pomegranates and pleasant fruits, fragrant ainat with spinach, spikenard and saffron, calamos and cinnamon, with all trees of frankincense, myron, aloes, with all the chief spices, a fountain of gardens, a well of living waters and streams from Lebanon. Verse 16. Okay. Awake, O north wind, and come, O south. Blow upon my garden that its spices may flow out. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat his pleasant fruits. Okay, chapter 5, verse 1. Okay. I have come to my garden, my sister, my spouse. I have gathered my myra with spice. I have eaten my honeycomb with my honey. I have drunk my wine with my milk. Eat, old friends, drink. Yes, drink deeply, oh beloved ones. Mm -hmm. So have you seen how the how the bridegroom's heart is 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 ravished by the lover? Have you seen how it's how it's ravished by the Shulamite? It's ravished through her garden. Each of us has a garden, friends. This is one thing that Jesus asked me to say to you in this year 2022. He says, A garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse, a spring a fountain sealed, meaning that there is, there is a strength to your secret life with God that if God should expose it to the rest of the earth, it will instantly birth a hunger and a test for God, right? But it's enclosed. It, it's, it's never about the externals. Unfortunately, we live in an era where it's about the numbers, how much of the numbers that we can, that we can rack up. But it says, a garden enclosed is my system. Friends, your life plus your time plus your space, your life, your time, your space, that is your garden. That's the place where God wants to meet with you. That's the place where God wants the spices to overflow because you, you can bring so much into that space. Spikenard, saffron, calamus, cinnamon. And if you know um, about the anointing or you notice that these are the ingredients that, that make for the anointing that was smeared upon Aaron, to anoint him into the priesthood with all trees of frankincense and may and aloes with all the chief spices. Bring as much, bring your, bring your emotions, bring your intelligence, bring your giftings, bring everything you have into that garden so that your beloved can regularly drink of it. The reason why God is asking us to pay attention to our gardens this year, and I, I must pause there to say that there is something about your life, like I mentioned in the morning, that God wants you to pay attention to. The thing with the garden is how much attention you pay to it. How much attention you pay to it. Everything that you can become, that you need for your needs to be met, is locked up in that garden. What are you paying attention to it? It's a, it's a mixture of your life, your time, and your space. Are you running from one activity to the other? Or are you just you know, passing time and not deliberately investing it into releasing spices 
that will create a fragrance for the king. The reason why God wants us to work on our gardens this year is that the wind will come. Now, again, some translations um, put half of this verse as coming from the bridegroom and the other half as coming from the bride. But it doesn't matter what, what part you follow. But it says, awake, O north wind, and come, O south. Blow upon my, upon my garden that his spices may flow out. Friends, I told you earlier that Jesus will return this year. And I'm not talking about the second coming of Jesus because nobody knows the timeline for the second coming of Jesus. I'm talking about Jesus visiting us in very tangible ways, each of us. And one of the ways he's going to come is by the wind. And it doesn't even matter here if the wind is positive or negative. It doesn't matter who orchestrated the wind. What matters is the effect the wind is going to have. If you have gathered spices in your garden, if there's something that you have built in your secret place, in this year, there's a wind that will come. And it is what you have nurtured in your garden that, that, that the Holy Spirit would, would, would blow upon and spread out. And that will be the thing that will instigate your rising. So in a sense, we don't necessarily have to tie ourselves down to one thing, right? And say, okay, um, I am a teacher. I have a teaching gift. So let me only be reading the Bible. Me, I have a prophetic gift. So let me only be prophesying. No, bring all the spices. It is when the wind comes that, that your horn will be exalted, that it will blow upon those spices and God can decide to reveal you in the way he pleases. The way that your seasons can change is that you might not be a prophet, but because you have been tending to your garden, God will give you a mighty prophetic word that when you release it, it will not only change the season of those that you release it to, it will also shift to your own seasons, even though you are not a prophet, but because you are tending your garden. Remember Ananias, right? The brother that, that Jesus sent um, Brother Saul to, after Brother Saul was converted on his way to Damascus. Ananias was not an apostle. He didn't have a title. He was not a prophet, but he had a garden. He had, he had time, he had space, and he had his life. And he just kept pouring spices upon that garden. And a day came when God was able to blow upon that garden and use him to disciple the great apostle Paul. Awake, O north wind, and come. O south, blow upon my garden. If the wind of God comes into your space, what is it that it can, it can blow upon, right? If we take the content of your secret life and we blow it up, can it stir up a revival? How many, <laughs> how many encounters have you been exposed to in your secret place because you tarried with God? Not encounters because you want to talk about it, because you want to preach about it, because, but just that this was just your garden and you were, and you were taking care of it. Right? Your garden is the, is the totality of your life. And you see that the ravishing of Jesus's heart comes when he arrives. He says, I have come to my garden. So even though it's your garden, it is his garden. He says, I've come, my sister. I've gathered my mare and my spice. So you can see that the death process is one of the things. There are many things, there are many times people will hurt you and you may want to revenge, but you have to come back to that garden and die to yourself. Jesus's own garden for a season was the garden of Gethsemane. That's where he died to his own agenda. 
so that the will of God could be done. It says, I've eaten my honeycomb with my honey. I have drunk my wine with my milk. And all friends here refers to the Trinity, right? Eat, all friends, drink. Yes, drink deeply, all beloved ones. Everybody else can begin to benefit from that intimacy that you have with the Lord, right? And then the next thing that might follow is that you might ask me, well, this, this is all sounding like so much work for me, right? What if I refuse to do it? So let's see something in, um, it's actually verse two and verse three that I'm going to before we read the rest of it. But let's read from verse two to chapter six, verse one. Go there. Okay. Verse two. I sleep, for my heart is awake. It is the voice of my beloved. It knocks, saying, open for me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one, for my head is covered with dew, my locks with the drop of the ninth. I have taken off my robe. How can I put it on again? I have washed my feet. How can I defile them? My beloved put his hand by the latch of the door, and my heart yearned for him. I arose to open for my beloved, and my hands dripped with my my fingers with liquid mire on the handles of the lock. I opened for my beloved, for my beloved had turned away and was gone. My heart leaped up when he spoke. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. The watchmen who went about the city found me. They struck me, they wounded me. The keepers of the walls took my veil away from me. Continue. Where do I stop? Okay. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him I am lovesick. What is your beloved more than another beloved, O fairest amongst women? What is your beloved more than another beloved, that you charge, that you so charge us? My beloved is white and ruddy, chief among ten thousand. His head is like the finest gold. His locks are wavy and is, and black as raven. His eyes are like those by the rivers of waters, washed with milk and filthy. Cheeks are like a bed of spices, banks of scented herbs. His lips and lilies dripping liquid mire. His hands are rods of gold set with burial. His body is carved iron. His carved ivory inlaid with sapphires. His legs are pillars of marble set on bases of fine gold. His countenance is like Lebanon, excellent as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet. Yes, he's altogether lovely. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, all daughters of Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. Chapter 6, 1, 2, 3. Okay. Where has your beloved gone, O fairest amongst women? Where has your beloved turned aside, that we may seek him with you? My beloved has gone to his garden, to the beds of spices, to feed his flock in the gardens, and to gather lilies. I am, I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. He feeds his flock among the lilies. Thank you, Goza. So do you see what's going on here? Well, unfortunately, we don't have time to bring out every part of it, right? But we have talked about the fact that Jesus is calling us to keep our garden. And it's a, it's, it's a, it's a ministry that involves dying. And then we see a dream that, uh, that uh, Shulamite had. He says, I sleep, but my heart is awake. So he's talking about a dream, right? It's the voice of my beloved. So she recognizes that this is, this is God calling me. He says, open for me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. He says, my head is covered with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. You see, 
this is obviously talking about Gethsemane, right? Remember that when Jesus was in his own garden of Gethsemane, his head was covered with dew and his, and from his head came, came sweat like drops of blood. And this is what he calls the drops of the night. So there is, there is, <laughs> there is that side of Jesus that is, that is battling with the will of God. It, it feels a bit shameful that he has to die stark naked on the cross on the next day. And we too perhaps don't agree. And if you're his disciples on that night, <laughs> you, you, you really want to sleep. Right. But he's saying open for me. And in our own lives, it's just like Jesus coming to you and say, I want you to please keep the watches of the night. I want you to please invest in this activity. I want you to please, I want you to add certain spices to your garden. And maybe some of them feel legalistic to you, or maybe they feel um, even if, well, not wrong, because Jesus will not ask you to do something wrong. Some of them might actually be circumstantial, right? Something Jesus is asking you to accommodate something that, you know, left to yourself, you wouldn't want to accommodate because that's what the cross is. The cross is that thing that you don't want in your life, but you cannot do anything about it. And Jesus says what to do with your cross is to carry daily and to follow me until the day comes when I change it or I lift it up with you. And then she begins to say, you know, I've taken up my robe. How can I put it on again? I've washed my feet. How can I defile them? You know, some instructions that Jesus gives us, it almost feels like, uh -uh, Jesus, I thought you loved me. So if you love me, why do I have to go the extra mile? And then my beloved puts his hand by the latch of the door and my heart yearned for him. And so finally she arose. But the thing is that by the time she arose, right, the beloved had gone and then she saw, so look at here, it says, and my hands drip with mere. It means that this experience, is Jesus calling her, Christ calling her to a death experience. I want you to die to this pride. I want you to let go of this thing that is legitimate, for example. So that's why mare is the liquid that is involved on the handles of the door. When she eventually opened for her beloved, she saw that he had turned away. And as we read the Song of Songs, I think you can begin to see why it's as though a lot of people's, a lot of times our Christian experience plateaus and just every vibe and every energy and you know every motivation just dissipates and we're just left in a mundane, even Christless existence. We're just Christians by name, but the vitality and the reality of it is gone. Because what begins as, as intimate, affectionate love must arrive on the altar of surrender if it's going to be sustained. It says, my beloved is gone. And then sometimes the way God can, <laughs> The way God can wake us up into, into spicing our garden, into keeping the watches of the night again, into laboring with him again is affliction. Because the watchmen, like we saw in, in the second section, they were helpful to her at that time. But now, <laughs> is that they wounded me. I don't know if you have been in a difficult situation and you talk to Christians or pastors and Christians and pastors make it worse. Well, I may surprise you with this, but that's Jesus. He wants you to look away from all of those things and to ascend. And to ascend. He says, the keepers of the walls took my veil away from me. And so she now realized that, okay, um, he's definitely calling me to a different level of love. So what I thought was optional, it is optional, but there is definitely a cost for not continuing with Jesus, right? 
it's like when Jesus said to his disciples that he was going to Jerusalem, they were very upset about that decision because everybody hated him in Jerusalem and he was going to die in Jerusalem. The Bible says that he steadfastly set his face towards Jerusalem. What that means is that Jesus is going towards Jerusalem. So if what is variable is not whether he's going. What's variable is whether you will follow him. Because if you decide that you want to think it through, you want to sleep over it, you're just going to wake up and realize that he's in Jerusalem. And then the search will now begin. What is the will of God? What is the plan of God? And so she began the search. And then they asked her, what is your beloved more than another beloved or fairest among women? What is your beloved more than another beloved that you are charging us this charge? And so that search led her to begin to witness about her Lord. Friends, Jesus asked me to tell us that our life of witness is going to be one of the weapons of our warfare. That's how we're going to overcome um, seasons of, of darkness, seasons of depression, because she's looking for her Lord, but she's also witnessing. And then she realizes that he's the fairest amongst 10,000. You see, and as she begins to witness, she says, no, I cannot continue like this. She begins to ravish him with love. She begins to realize his preciousness all over again. In the weapons of our warfare that Paul describes in Ephesians chapter 6, remember that one of them is that your feet must always have the preparation of the gospel of peace. There is a kind of mental, emotional warfare that the way God will bring you out of that warfare is that you have to proclaim the testimony of the gospel. Right? The Bible says that they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. We have talked about the record of God's love. You must be well acquainted with it. You must be grounded with it. You must also remember the reality of his love. That, that um, affectionate, devoted aspect of it that you experience organically and practically and personally. There's a level of continuity that you cannot have in the faith if you do not set yourself to proclaim the gospel. Practically begin to walk yourself towards the place this year where it will become natural for you to glorify God on your social media even if you are, you are a popular secular leader, right? So she began to witness to him. She has her own problems. Remember that they have, that they have wounded her. You know, she's, 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 she has been betrayed perhaps, right? But she's, but she's now speaking about the one her soul loves. He says he's the chief among 10,000. Hi, I don't know if you feel the presence of God as you just read that. He's the, he's, he's the fairest of 10,000. I know that I have... I have issues, I have problems, but, but as I cast my mind back to him, I see that he's the brightest. And we don't have time to analyze everything that she describes about Jesus, but you can read about it later. And when we go to chapter six, verse one, you realize that her witness produced a hunger in other people. He says, where has your beloved gone now? Oh, fairest among women, where has your beloved turned aside? that we may seek him with you. Part of why God calls us to the ascended life, part of our high calling is to bring the offering of the Gentiles to the Lord, is that by our witness, we looked at the first angle of our witness, which is the fragrance that flows from our lives, right? But then it goes beyond fragrance. People begin to ask you about the hope that is in you. And as you begin to articulate the goodness and the fullness of your beloved, <laughs> a hunger is stirred in the hearts of the virgins, of the women of Jerusalem. He says, where is this your beloved that we may seek him with you? 
This is the cry of my heart that in this year that we will receive these inquiries a lot more in the workplace, in our families, everywhere we go. Because your own satisfaction is tied to your ability to bring others into satisfaction with Jesus. There's a level of satisfaction that you miss out on in Christ if you do not make it your aim to bring other people into, to bring other people to Jesus. It's at this point when they asked her that she realized that, wait a second, my beloved has been in his garden the whole time. That's where his domicile, that's where he stays, to the beds of spices, to feed his flock in the gardens and to gather lilies. Ah, and she realized what we saw in, in Galatians chapter four, that I am my beloved. That's what is more sure, that in his heart, he holds me. It's me that is wandering and you know, feeling depressed and perhaps not grasping the fact that I am his. And so that's making me wonder a little bit from the foundation of his love. But she realizes that nothing ever changed on his side. He was, he was in the garden all along. It's just that she didn't pay attention to the garden, to the beds of spices, to feed his flocks in the gardens and to gather lilies. So she found that Christ is always in the garden. Friends, whatever the garden means to you this year, whatever your, your lifetime and space contributes to, invest in it. Do you know that you can even decide that I'm going to set up a blog. Now, this is me being a little bit more practical, right? I'm going to set up a blog and this blog is going to be my garden. I'm going to fast and pray and hear from Jesus before I post something on this blog. And I'm going, even if I have no reader, <laughs> I'm going to make sure that everything that appears on this blog is inspiration from heaven. That's my garden because, because for me to furnish, I'm not putting up the blog because I heard that if you have a blog, you can put Google ads on it and you make money. So I have hope because this is what I'm seeing a lot these days. You know, everybody's opening a YouTube channel because YouTube is the next money-making machine. No, but it's a garden. It's a garden. Because one day the wind will blow in this year. It will blow upon that garden and the, and the fragrance will spread to far places. And that is how Jesus will change our seasons, right? Can you read for us from verse four to verse 13 of chapter six? Okay, four to 13. Oh my love, you are as beautiful as desire, lovely as Jerusalem, also as an army with banners. Turn your eyes away from me, for they have overcome me. Your hair is like a flock of goats going down from Gilead. Your teeth are like flock of sheep, which have come up from the washing. Everyone bears twins, and none is barren among them. Like mm. a piece of pomegranate, and your temples behind your veil. There is sixty. There are sixty queens and eighty concubines, and virgins without number. My dove, my perfect one, is the only one, the only one of our mother, the favorite of the one who bore her. The daughter saw her and called her best. The queens and the concubines and they praised her. Who is she who looks forth as the morning, fair as the moon, clear as the sun? Awesome as an army with banners. I went down to the garden of knots to see the verdure of the valley, to see whether the vine had budded and the pomegranate had bloomed. Before I was even aware, my soul had made me as the chariots of my noble people. Return, return, O Shulamite, return, return that we may look upon you. What would you see in the Shulamite, as it were, the dance of the two camps? Yeah, thank you very much, Golda. 
we're probably going to stop here. I will just give a comment on, on what chapter seven is saying because it's just talking about continuing in the gospel, right? But you can see that the praises of, of her Lord has returned. She has, she has arrived at that place where she's able to satisfy his heart in a special way. And the cry of Jesus is return, return, O Shulamite, return, return, that we may look upon you. That's the cry of Jesus for this year, right? It, it's a cry of intimacy. There is a garden. That garden is your life, your space, and your time. You ought to declutter it. You ought to pay attention to it. You ought to furnish it with spices. Jesus, he longs to look upon you. After you have done everything, return to the garden always because he longs to look upon you. Return, return, oh Shulamite. And so now that she has understood the formula, she has realized that it's about the kingdom of God, right? The reason why God wants me to maintain a garden is because there are many people that can feed from this garden. You don't know the impact of your, of your obedience, of the impact your obedience of intercession will have on your family, on people that you don't even know about. You don't know what that little thing that you're doing in your space that to you is unconnected to anybody will do in the lives of those that God wants to bless with that activity. He says, return, return, return. And, and we're not going to read this because of our time, but if you look at chapter seven, you see how beautiful are your feet in sandals, O prince's daughter. The curves of your ties are like jewels, the work of the hands of a skilled man. So this is, this is a bride that has fully embraced, embraced the outgoing life, the life of a missionary the evangelistic life, the kingdom-driven, kingdom-centered, kingdom-focused life. She has realized that if I'm, <laughs> if I'm going to grow in my understanding, appreciation, experience of the love of God, I have to position myself in such a way that my feet are always ready with the gospel of peace. I jump at every opportunity to proclaim it in a family context, in a work context. I actively prepare my garden to be ready for when the wind comes, she has, she has made that her posture. And the Bible decrees a blessing on whoever does this. We know this in Isaiah chapter 52, right? How beautiful upon the hills are the feet of those that bring glad tidings. Friends, there's a beauty that the Lord is going to put upon us this year. That beauty will satisfy us. It will bring to us the things we need, but it will also release a fragrance of heaven that will impart our neighborhoods, that will impart every place where God plants us and will satisfy many other people and will draw many to Jesus. But if we are going to commit to this protocol of the garden, we have to keep the return of Jesus in front of us. We have to realize that he will return, friends. He will return. Yes, he will return in his second coming whenever he comes back. But even in my garden, he will return. In fact, from what we're seeing, he's actually there right now. And he's the one who's beckoning upon us. Return, 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 return. This is where we're going to stop. On Tuesday, in our Bible study, we'll just complete um, chapter eight to finish the final part. But this is our high calling, friends, to live the ascended life and from there to ravish the heart of our king 
with our spices, with our sacrifices. As we pray, I want us to cry to God from Psalm chapter 80, Psalm 80. As we transition now, Psalm 80. It says, give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who dwell between the cherubim, shine forth. Before Ephraim, Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up your strength, come and save us. Restore us, O God, cause your face to shine and we shall be saved. Can we turn this into our prayer? Can we turn this into our prayer? Give ear, O shepherd of Israel. Oh, shine forth, shine forth again in our hearts and restore us. Shakapalina, Zapanda, Brosco, Shavenila, Sopratelli, Mahanda, Zando, Barela, Sopratina, Mahaila, Zenecadilos, Cabendo, Braskiva, Nocopatila, Shapenda, Bresco, Veneke, Peteliba, Haita, Reconde, Braska, Shapanda, Lipanda, Brosco, Shavindo, Berela, Bekenda, Berica, Panto, Braskeva, Nocopatila, O shine forth, shine upon my garden, shine upon the canvas of my heart, and stay it again. Restore us, O God, to the place of intimacy. Restore us to the place of fellowship. Restore our fire. Shakonde braska bela makanda. Azento barelis. Rakunde braskiva natai. Mando, mando, mando barela. Barula sake panika pataila. Oh, shaina kibaruta. That the Lord will deliver your heart from the pursuit of mundanity, from the pursuit of the approval of men, and He will turn your gaze to the things above, that He will turn your gaze to your seat in the heavenly places, that you will go up the mountains of mere and the hills of frankincense, that from your life would. would flow a pure offering, the offering of spices unto God, that he will find your heart a garden where his heart can be ravished. Rekindo Braskiva Nuka Kendola, Reketonomo Shanta, Azanta Baruka Pendelis, Rependo Shafenis, Shafenis Kombe Maskapila Hatai. Oh Jesus, that we will not lose sight of your love, that we will not lose sight of your indwelling presence, that we, oh God, will not lose sight of the fact that you are here of the fact that our beloved is in his gardens. Lapendo braske banata, rapindo brisco, brisco, brisco vanilla. That our time will not be spent on that which defiles, that our time will not be spent on that which distracts. And even when we come into the fellowship of friends, that the spices from our gardens will overflow Jesus. Lapendo barita panta, japataila sopratenis, bar. Bara Kadinas Barute Shate Pataila Anika Handos Kavana 
Nakrendo Breske, Breske Havina Shapai, Zakatonia, Zapatele Berus Cabana, Baleto Sate Havila, Jacatina Mahaila Cobanda, Razanta Hazina Sofatela Mandelas. Oh Jesus. Oh Jesus. But I will not be lazy this year. Shaka Prime of Vesco Venila that I will not be lazy this year. Oh no, that I will not be caught on my bed sleeping at the wrong time, but that I will rise up. That when you come knocking, that I will rise up. That when you come knocking, precious one, that I will rise up. That when you plant that seed, that idea in my spirit, in my soul, that I will not delay, but I will go straight to execution by the grace that you that you impart into me. Paul says, to this end, I labor, striving with all the energy of God that he has worked into me. Lakonde barila sofretele babatole shakatai. God said, I should tell someone here today that your that your career, what you call your career, what you're doing right now, that that's your garden. And God wants you to spice it. It means that you have been experiencing a blocker. That the things that you only do when you want to pray, what are the things you do? Maybe you speak in tongues, you play gospel music. Begin to do those things when you want to engage that activity and see God break those boundaries. See God break those barriers. That thing that God has placed in your hand, that's your garden. You don't need more time. You don't need a fresh gifting. Everything is there for you to discover. Everything that you need is there for you to discover, says the Lord. Repetonia shente berila panza barolis, bracotina shente lebebe doko pareke pantala, zanonte ajakatila, aranto barica pente bresco venis, lepando berica pento bradiscabana, entelo bredosco baleke pateni mahaila, jacatolo bobundis. Repindo brisco velita, shakatolo borosco bena, enteberica pandalis, ropende brisco, shakapandes, covante barilla, zacatelebebundes, ropende brisco velita, shapendis barula seco prandales, jacatolo boruca petulabebentes, rentelebebenduco perica pento braskibanatai. Rapendo Braskabana, Jacatela Boroco Petila Mahantos Cabe in the midst of the God said, I should tell someone here today that nations will come to you in this year. Do not fear. Do not fear that which I've put in you will shine forth and nations, nations will come to you in this year. Mm-hmm. 
God is saying to somebody, you might be financially desperate right now, but don't receive, <laughs> don't receive the gifts or the offer of the king of Sodom. This is the word of the Lord to someone. The reason why God is saying do not receive it is that there's something hidden in the gift that you're not going to realize until you receive it and take it upon you. And that thing is going to entangle your destiny. You might be desperate, but the Lord has blessed you and trust him that he will meet your financial needs in this year. Do not receive the gift of the king of Sodom. Thank you. 
you to to um, to lay your hand on your body if you're sick in your body whatever kind of sickness it is the bible says restore us okay let's read from verse 2 it says before Ephraim Benjamin and Manasseh stir up your strength and come and save us restore us cause your face to shine and we shall be saved now this is not an authoritative prayer this is a plea for mercy in the next five minutes, I want you to pour out that plea before God and say, God, this sickness, this, this illness has stayed for too, for too long, but stir up your strength in mercy and come and save me. Oh, restore me, restore my brother, restore my sister, cause your face to shine and we will be saved. Shalamakura Masan. In the midst of the cherubim. Shine
Now I want us to pray and say, Father, I will not be ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. Let the gospel, let the record of the love of God, the reality of the love of God and the return of Jesus, let it be the story of my existence. Let it be at the center of my life. Cause me to know you as my life so that I will not be ashamed of the gospel, that every time need is placed upon me to proclaim the richness of your grace, that there will be a willingness in me, there will be a readiness in me. I will not be ashamed of the gospel. I will not be tired of, of, of well-doing. I will not be tired of goodness. I will not grow weary of prayer. I will not grow weary of seeking your face. I will not grow weary. That I will not be ashamed of the gospel. That in this year, the gospel of the Lord Jesus will be upon my lips. That, that when the story of my life is told, it will be said that I overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of my testimony. In my workplace, oh God, I will not be ashamed of the gospel. In my family, amongst my siblings, amongst my parents, I will not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. Raponde prescova neke patai, raponde prescova nata, japendo preskiva no copatela bopontos combre neke patantos. Zakaila shopatil. I will not be ashamed of the gospel, but I will not be ashamed of the gospel. I will not be ashamed of the gospel. Shalom, Shine 
Yes, and yes, Father, we thank you for the beauties of your love, for the multi-dimension of your love. Thank you because you will return this year. You will return for each person and the things that have lingered for so long will give way so that the fullness of your beauty can be expressed through, through our vessels, through our story, through our lives. We are grateful before you, precious one, for how you have led us since Friday night to Saturday morning and tonight, Lord. Thank you for the avalanche of your presence. And thank you because you are faithful to confirm your word with miracles, with signs, with wonders, oh God. Thank you because the lines shall fall onto us in pleasant places. Thank you because our heritage in this year is a goodly one. Thank you because everyone who is here present and who will listen afterwards is preserved in the name of Jesus. Thank you because we will not be found naked, but we will always be clothed. Oh, with our beautiful garments from heaven. Always that the fragrance of your spirit will flow from us in every place, that our lives will be the signpost, will set the marker in every place, that Jesus will be glorified in all things. Thank you, precious Father, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.